With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so it's almost the end of pre-season. Yay! And we're back to almost put the finishing touch to our content with our penultimate pod pre-game week one, 2022-2023. Summer specials, prize pods, talisman theory, we've done a lot. And this was going to be the last pod. But due to some scheduling conflicts, I think this is now the penultimate one. I'll probably do something at the end of next week as we're recording prior to the Community Shield right now. And there'll be inevitable, you know, news, bandwagons, etc. next week, which may result from everything that could happen. I should say welcome to new listeners. I'm Tom, and I'm joined by my now newish co-host Lucy, who's actually going to be rotated out for a couple of weeks from now due to holidays. I literally can't keep a co-host on the hook, can I? Lucy, you're right. I'm good, thank you. Yes, I know how to make a good impression with listeners by immediately taking holiday as soon as the season starts, but you know, can't be helped. Back when I accepted your very generous offer to co-host, I didn't really realise how early the season started. And it was only when you asked me when I was available that I realised that I'm missing three of the first four weeks. But I'm sure you'll cope admirably in my absence. We are Who Got the Assist. You can find Tom on the main account at WGTA underscore FPL. And I'm at Lucy Hynett with two T's. On the pod today, how many goals should we expect in game week one? For this, Tom's taking us on a quick trip down memory lane. And then we'll be moving on to our how our teams are shaping up and the key decisions we've made or are going to make with about a week to go. This is all to be confirmed, of course. Yeah, excellent. I, I, can't, I just thought that when you were saying that, your probation period must be game week six, seven sort of thing. So if you've not been around for a, a few pods during that period, I think there may be some kind of questions Maybe asked. Fail. Yeah, there'll be some questions asked during the review, that's for damn sure. <laughs> Anyway, at the moment, just so you know, the date is Thursday, 28th of July. We're recording this. So some signing sales, games of football may have occurred if you listen to this in the future. And hopefully, hopefully the Lionesses have brought it home. Let's move on to the Game Week 1 Redux. So it's a quick trip down memory lane, really, to look at kind of past Game Week 1s and figure out what they look like and how they sort of shake out compared to the rest of the season. Just because I've got an impression... At least maybe you do, Lucy, but I do. Um, that game week one's always a goal fest. I mean, is that something that you'd think off the bat is the truth? Yeah, that would be my completely unguided random assumption that there's goals everywhere. And why would we invest in a premium defence when all you're gonna do is concede? Did the similar pod last year and we did a poll and we found that most people indeed reflected that view that game week one is a goal fest what i did was i looked over the last eight game week ones it's really really bloody manual actually it's really annoying she has to do all the goals in the season versus the goals in one game week do an average and all this sort of jazz and 
on average, 1,036 goals are scored in, in an average season. At least that's how many are scored over the last eight seasons, which is what I've looked at here, as I just said. That means there are 27 goals on average per game week. And on average, there is, Lucy, a massive one more goal scored in game week one than an average game Luke week. Yeah, 28.4 goals are scored on game week one on average compared to 27.3 on average on a normal game week during the course of the season. Obviously, double game weeks and things mess things up a little bit. So maybe we expect a few more goals. But just to kind of begin our traipse down memory lane, one thing that moved the needle on this massively is last year. It was the highest game week one of the last eight years. 34 goals scored in that week, including 21 home goals. That's the most home goals scored over the last eight years. I think there was one huge contributing factor to that, which was home fans returning since the COVID restrictions ended. Let's breeze over it, but Brentford dispatched Arsenal 2-0 on the Friday. That's not going to be repeated at all this year, with Arsenal again playing on the opening Friday against Crystal Palace. At United beat Leeds 5-1. There was a hat-trick from Bruno that day. Chelsea beat Palace 3-0 at home. There's a goal from Alonso there. Liverpool beat Norwich 3-0. A goal and assist from Osala. And West Ham beat Newcastle 4-2. The Ben Rama train, I couldn't wait to get to it, but the Ben Rama train started very well. And as did Antonio, a goal and assist. And the Nuno era at Spurs got off to a really bright start as a song goal dispatched Man City 1-0 at home. That feels like an absolute eon ago, I think just because of how long and torturous at times last season was. But that was how last season looked in terms of the football itself. I mean, do you remember any of those things that have jogged your memory a little bit on them? Not really. The Bruno hat-trick, I remember, just because that burnt a few people that had decided to go against him. I remember that being... a a little bit controversial in that sense, um, especially because he did it off so few actual XG metrics. What you're saying about the influence of crowds is probably pretty valid. And I do wonder, kind of thinking about how this season might be different from the previous seasons, as to whether the fact we're starting earlier in the season, are teams potentially going to be a bit half-cooked? You know, Are there kind of going to be things that haven't been sort of smoothed out amongst teams in terms of, you know, starting 11s, formations, all that kind of thing. Do, do we think that could be an influence? I think so, especially if you look at the likes of Chelsea. I'm At the time of recording, they're still looking to sign, what, three or four defenders? And Tuchel said the other day that it's a bit of a difficult camp over there just because there are loads of players with their eye on the door. That's a really good example of the sort of team where a lot of corners need to be rounded off before they're able to get into the new season looking like a coherent team. Compare that to the likes of Arsenal, who've had a good pre-season. Dare I say, even Man United, who have had a fairly decent pre-season, despite the fact they're still kind of in travails when it comes to trying to sign De Jong. I think there'll be a real contrast at the start of this season, that's for sure. And that could have an impact on game week one. You may see some shot results, perhaps, and you may indeed see more goals. And I remember last year, game week one, what was really key about it, just referencing a few of those players who scored, Salah, Bruno, Antonio, the template absolutely slapped. I mean, I got 96 points. I was disappointed by the fact that I got 96 points, which is something you, you never say in FPL on game week one. Like, if I was offered 96 points for game week one this season, I'd snap your hand off. And I would have last year, but that only kind of took me to 600k or something like that on the first game week. That was 
how well the FPL Twitter template in general did. You had those three players, Bruno, Salah and Antonio getting double figures, the likes of the double Liverpool defence getting a clean sheet, Shimikas in our teams back then at 4.0 because Robertson was injured, the likes of Danny Ings scored a penalty in the 90th minute. I remember I was drinking actually with Hindu Monkey that day and a few other people. I remember going outside because I was really annoyed that I bought Ings over, I think it was Callum Wilson and Ings scored a penalty in the last minute or something. <laughs> And I also looked at this and remembered early wagons like Luke Shaw. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's always quite instructive to look at the players that you had last year and think, oh, wow, how did I ever come to those players? Somehow we've not learned from that Luke Shaw incident and people are starting to talk about United defenders again. Yes, yes, they are. Who would have Dallow in their team, eh? Oh, a bit of Dallow Who would name humor. their team after Dallow? Dallow's humour. That's what it's all about, Lucy. Uh, come on to that later. 2019-20, uh, so going back to the midst of time now, two years ago, an average of 27 goals per game week and 23 goals were scored in game week one. Not as many as last year. That year, Salah hit a hat-trick in the 4-3 dispatch of Bielsa's leads. Aubameyang nicked one as Arsenal beat Fulham 3-0. There were two penalties for Vardy. I remember Nick was steadfast all through preseason. I'm going to own him. I'm going to own him. I'm going to put him in my team. He's going to score. And he got 0.0 xG or non-pen XG, but got him a brace. Amazing, really. And Wilson scored versus West Ham. Sorry, that <laughs> Nick impression was phenomenal. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've sometimes thought of doing the podcast on my own, pretending Nick's with me. That's what you I, should do the next time when I'm I, not here and Nick's not here. You should just I, literally just pretend Nick is here. Maybe I'll do it next week. I'm, I'm sure he he'll, he'll, won't be annoyed at that at all. <laughs> And that season, I should say, two years ago, was notable because both Manchester clubs missed the opening game week. So that's probably why there was a bit of decrease in goals. That year was an interesting year because I think, do you remember this? It was big at the bench where those people started with like Martial or Bruno or something on their bench because there were no City or United fixtures. I don't remember that. Oh, no, I do remember that. Was that the year that everyone had some but went to Bruno by default and then... Son went mad. I got the wrong end of that one. Yeah, that was the two years ago. Yeah, so after that, it's it a bit crazy. Aubameyang, that year, he'd been reclassified as midfielder because he was playing left wing for a lot of people. And he occupied the premium midfield slot for so many people. And some idiot in talisman theory wrote that he could be potentially game-breaking. Uh, so... I backed him heavily and those other people backed him heavily. And it just turned out that he was performing well because he wanted a new contract. So, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was also the that Dominic Calvert-Lewin did very, very well from the opening game week onwards. I think the first kind of eight or nine game weeks did a proper Antonio. Yeah, those were the days. He scored that early hat-trick, didn't he, quite early on. I know. It's amazing, isn't it, how it kind of all changes. And speaking of which, the year before that, 2019-20, again, 27 goals on game week one. This was when... City beat West Ham 5-0 on the opening day. Sterling scored a hat-trick. Frank Lampard, who was the new Chelsea manager at the time, lost 4-0, kicking off his reign to Man United, of all teams. Allison went off injured for Liverpool, who still beat Norwich. Again, a bit playing a new team on the first day. But Timu Puki wiped out the clean sheet. And that season, I got 78 points on game week one. That was, apart from 96 points last year, my best first game week. Because I had Sterling, I had Salah, I had 
Jota for some reason. I had Pope in goal. I had Carl Walker Peters, Lucy, of all people, and he was at Spurs. And I also had a Jose Perez uh, after Nick wrote a very, very enthralling thread. Long term listeners may remember that Nick really loved Jose Perez one preseason, and it all predictably went to excrement. And a few other ones that are worth mentioning back in the day. So going back in the midst of time here. 28 goals with 2018-19 with Daniel Sturridge and Salah was scoring. But like Spangolo Kante scoring in game week one as Chelsea beat Huddersfield and him getting price rises. Callum Wilson and Brian Fraser scoring as Bournemouth beat Cardiff 2-0 in 2018-19. Everybody was going mad for those two, weren't they, at that point? And Wan-Bissaka, who was 4.0. Uh, getting 12 points for lots of people. Um, so that was the year where Wan-Bissaka came from nowhere uh, to be a superstar. One more for you, 2017-18. Not that many goals scored in game week one. The 4-3 game, when we Arsenal beat Leicester 4-3, the dramatic late winner for Giroud. I remember that game and remember it principally because I was on Granite Xhaka, got a pair of assists that game at 5.0 and my sister spent ages giving me loads of grief for talking her out of buying him <laughs> yes it's one of those isn't it an unknown player called Mo Salah scored in his debut for Liverpool uh, Lukaku braced for United as Mourinho's first game ever as Man United manager this is just 2017-18 doesn't feel that long ago but it really was in football terms got off to a flyer pair of assists for Mkhitaryan and it was the beginning of the end for Antonio Conte as Chelsea succumbed to a 3-2 defeat on the opening day of the season. Notably for you, Lucy, I had a Saints double-up. I had Ryan Bertrand and Backstabby Adini in my opening team. And that was the first game week I think we ever did on WGTA. Wow. I don't think I did that. that, That's not saying a lot, though, because I tell (laughs) people not to buy Southampton players all the time. Certainly won't be doing that this season, though, obviously, because our fixtures are terrible. But I think actually kind of going back through all of that stuff, uh, you did mention briefly that Salah's debut for Liverpool. I think when I was thinking about opening days of the season, I think it comes back to Salah's ridiculous record um, on the opening day. He now has 67 points in his last five opening days with 37 from the last two. So if you're gambling against him, good luck. (laughs) I know a couple of people actually who are mooting triple captioning on game week one just because... Is it gambler's fallacy that it will happen again as has happened before? We'd have had a pretty decent haul and you have a pretty decent return every time. I totally understand I think, that. I think his lowest return is eight points and that was against West Ham. There is something slightly suspicious about the Liverpool's opening fixtures, but we'll, we'll move on from that. But yeah, no, I think there's plenty of reason to think that Salah could do something big, but I'm not sure I can fall into this gambler's fallacy of it's the opening day and he loves the opening day. There's enough there for me to not back against him anyway. Oh, absolutely. And there are loads of kind of wonders of the past, which I'm not going to go into too far. Remembering things like Game Week 1 heroes in the cheaper seats, like Mares in 2014-15, who smashed him 15 points, costing just 5.5. And friend of the pod, FPL SWAT, Duncan, fellow Saints fan, Lucy, uh, also mentioned Michu at 6.5, two goals and one assist in 2012-13. We provide that sort of survivorship bias, if you want to know what that is, go back to the Payable Science pod, to show some examples of some players who can really knock it out of the park in game week one. And I think that that's kind of something that, I, I guess, to move on to a few kind of little tips for game week one, there, there's always that sort of semblance that you want to gamble a little bit with that sort of individual, the Pedro Neto or something like that, which we'll speak about in a bit. 
owning that one player that could well go off and could well be, you know, a five game, 10 game, maybe even a season keeper and being the one who got him in early. That, there's got to be some alert to that, hasn't there? Oh, absolutely. And I don't think there's any problem with a few calculated risks. I think it's just, especially at those lower price points, you can see why people have a go and try and pick something out. I think it's just making sure that you don't have a team crammed with those kind of calculated risks, because otherwise not only are you probably impacting your opening scores if it, if it backfires, you're also probably forcing an early wildcard that you don't want to play. So I think it's probably just finding a balance between those risks and, and kind of accepting that they're not all going to work out as well, I think. Absolutely. I like what Simon March said on the Behavioural Science pod about 75% being the stable, steady asset fund and 25% being the YOLO fund of your 100 million. I think you could probably, especially if, if you're quite a cautious manager like yourself, Lucy, maybe you'd say kind of 85, 15. Yeah, I mean, like 75, that, but... 25 was definitely far too extreme. I liked the, yeah, the premise of what he was saying was good. I'd probably just tweak it slightly. But um, yeah, I think it's just balancing it all off, isn't it, really? Any other tips for game week one that you give? Uh, obviously, we're, we'll go for our teams in a minute and talk about specifics, but any kind of macro tips you give for game week one? I've seen quite a lot of people talking about, you know, trying to target fixtures quite aggressively, which I guess is the temptation when we've got this effectively an additional wildcard because of the World Cup. Um, but I'm just very cautious about those that are planning in transfers, especially those kind of sketching out two or three moves, which... You may think to yourself, oh, well, well, I've got the team exactly how I want it. You know, what could really go wrong? But I think given that we've spoken at length about Premier League teams having more options than they probably had in the past, having five subs, which they didn't have in the past, and then you always have the surprise benching, the random injury, maybe even a suspension, and those kind of unexpected flops that you might have gambled on, you've then got to respond to all of that. So I just think planning in transfers especially multiple transfers, is probably a bad idea. Last season, I oh know, previous season, people planned in that Son to Bruno transfer and missed out on Son's point. So it's not always even good to move away from players just because fixtures dictate it. So that would be another one. And I guess the others are kind of around flexibility and things. Um, Tom, did you have any others you wanted to kind of highlight? No, I was, I was going to say multiple transfers is, is one, the booking in transfers. You, you've got to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt, haven't you? I, I, it could be valid, especially if you're saying, you know what, I'm going to wildcard in game week six or seven after the transfer window closes, which I think is probably when you should wildcard, by the way. But if you're saying, yeah, I'm going to do that, then it becomes a bit different, but you can kind of take it the first six game weeks is a bit of a block and just say, okay, in that, it, this isn't really game week one in a classic sense. It's a kind of a start point to a sprint. So maybe there is some you know, logic in kind of saying, you know what, all right, Kane versus Southampton is probably better than Haaland away at West Ham. But I think you are right in terms of, and I've gone with Haaland for now, I think you're right in terms of the fact that I don't really want to be booking a transfer in because there's so many unknowns. Like you can do all the research you want, you can do so many things with the static data we've got. But once things get moving, stuff will come out of the unknown, which will knock you for six, which will change the way that you thought about a certain player, a certain team. I've seen it so many times if a team comes out of nowhere and starts off very well. I was thinking about kind of, you know, uh, Calvert-Lewin a couple of years ago for Everton. That's something he had to be in your team. Last year, if you didn't have the Ben Rama-Antonio double up by game week two or game week three. Like These players pretty much had to be in your team early or you started to lose ground. And if you've got those to deal with as well as having planned in transfers, it can start to get a bit tricky unless you're you know, 
happy to take the risks like taking minus fours and minus eights when you don't really have that many points anyway to begin with. But yeah, I mean, what do you think about this idea of attacking the block of just looking at the first six game weeks, seven game weeks? Because I mean, we do have to think about it. This this season is a little bit different to past seasons in that we do have this free wildcard setup. So looking at blocker fixtures and just thinking, what can I do to optimize my team for the first six? Surely there's a valid setup. And that's kind of why I've done some extent as well. Yes, I think that's a very valid setup, more so than usual. I had started with this kind of weird pipe dream that I try and last till game week eight or nine and then and then wildcard at that point. And it seemed like a nice kind of symmetrical nature to the season in which, you know, I would nicely spread these wild cards around and it it would all feel very consistent and stable which as we know is something I like but mm. I've, I've come to kind of terms with the fact that I will have inevitably needed to use my wild card by game week six because I pretty much always do even when I don't have an extra wild card um, in which case yeah it makes perfect sense to attack that block I just think there needs to be a kind of methodology and rationale behind that block I feel like I'm already hearing people say I'm going to take minus eight here and I'm going to take minus four here and I'll be changing that player and that player and that player part of it's just making sure that your fixtures look nice for the players that you have picked and then kind of working from that I'd like to kind of where possible look at my first 11 whatever they end up being Mm -hmm. as a team that if I didn't make any transfers for those six weeks would I be happy playing them for the majority of the games? Then leveraging from there rather than trying to use lots and lots of hits to try and optimise for those fixtures, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I'm significantly more hit-friendly than you, although there's a really good piece by Elevenify about taking hits that's made me rethink. I think I retweeted the other day. So maybe this will be the year where I don't take as many hits. Perhaps I say that now, come game week 20. So Lucy, I'll take another minus eight and it's Tuesday. Um, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And I, I think I can't get away from this idea that I'm trying to set up my team for this sort of perfectly balanced, pretty team for game week one, which, as you said, could feasibly be almost a ghost team without the likes of Ward Prowse being in there. There's still a couple of punts or still a couple of players which are low owned or players that I feel are worth owning. But a lot of it is, as you said, a fairly steady, constant setup at the moment. Do you think this year will be the year the template slaps again? I mean, it, it's already looking quite solid, isn't it, on FPL Twitter? Um, I, I've, I've been trying to purposefully close my eyes to looking at teams and stuff like that. I only posted the team today, and I mentioned, I'll mention it in a minute, but I actually posted the wrong one. So <laughs> that just shows how consciously been paying very little attention to people's teams on Twitter. But from the cursory look I've had and the kind of people sending me teams and being like, oh, this looks really similar to this, blah, blah, blah. And then I slack it. It looks like the template's fairly solid. The ownership's fairly solid. Is it just set up for the template to slap again? It could be. I find game week one very hard to predict. But I think the template's almost more solid than ever. I mean, when you look at someone like Jesus with a 65% ownership as he is right now, or 64.7% as he is right now, it seems insane. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think there are several players which you see in the vast majority of teams, you know. And it's not surprising, Trent, Salah... Jesus, Haaland, there are so many. I don't think it's going to be a particularly controversial, you know, divergent game week one. There will be, you know, two or three positions where there's a bit more variant. I don't think we're going to see anything particularly wild. And there's there's perfectly good rationale. I think there's been a lot of theories about 
what influence content creators are having on the fact that there's quite a strong template. I don't think it's that much of an influence. It's not like that we have, you know, significantly more content creation going on this season than we had last season. I think it's primarily because they've been priced up as they have. I mean, Jesus, I think that 65% ownership is a combination of his fixtures and the fact that he's eight million pounds. I think that's that's pretty much it, really. Yeah, I, I suppose there is that. And I suppose there also is the fact that uh, I, I can understand why I'm not, this isn't a criticism, but I can see why like if you see official FPL having their picks and things which come out with a full team mapped out. And if you're kind of not as engaged with it as you and I are, and if you're listening to this, you are, you just think, well, okay, what are these guys saying? Okay, oh, look, there's WTA Nick telling me to buy Reese James. Okay, uh, right, I'll put him in then, and off you go. That's, there's, I think there's definitely a factor of that. I do have a bit of a, a theory that Game Week 1 gets a lot of hype just because we're obviously all hyped for the new season. And I just wonder whether we should maybe be quite conscious of the fact that we are getting quite stimulated for the wrong word but quite excited about it and maybe you know some sometimes a, a sober voice like yours lucy is the best one to kind of listen to we'll get onto this in my team in just a bit but not getting too carried away with these ornate plans things like rotation things like booking and transfers things like you know hunting four out of 11 players just because the template is this probably worth doing right yeah, I mean, you're not going to get anything other than really boring advice from me this season. So I hope you're <laughs> braced for it because you're probably also going to have to balance it out because otherwise no one will listen to the pod. Excellent. Well, I hope you do keep listening. Um, we'll take a break there and move on to... So we're almost kind of on the cusp of it, aren't we? Talking about our own teams and where we are right now. All right, just back in sec. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Cool. So we're back and we're going to give our thoughts on our teams. I think it's time to do it. I mean, we've resisted really doing this throughout the course of preseason, I think. I mean, admittedly, we've only had a couple of kind of normal podcasts in inverted commas, but it's something that I've I've resisted talking about. I haven't really put it on Twitter this year. It's very unusual for me like in past years. If you followed me for a long time on Twitter, I'd have had teams up you know, every week, maybe every day, kind of being like, oh, if I do this, I can do that. And judging by my past sort of outcomes and things like that, having my team on Twitter and being influenced by Twitter, I don't think is a good idea. So I decided to kind of keep it off. So it's probably the first time um, that a lot of you would have heard about what team I'm doing unless you kind of follow me on Twitter and saw, saw it earlier on today. Now, We've done a price pod already. Uh, go back and listen to it if you want like a proper nuanced analysis of everything that's going on in all the price points. This is more of a chat about where we are, our thoughts and how we're set up. And of course, we might say something you'll disagree with or you know, you'll be building differently. And that's absolutely fine. I mean, this is a bit more subjective than the price pod, which was a squarely objective look at everything with some opinion. And this is more about where we are of our squads and something and some of our thinking. I think what we'll do is we'll kind of take it position by position maybe and just kind of give a rundown of where we are in terms of who we've picked at the moment but ultimately of course any advice in pre-season is like okay i'm going to tell you to pick this guy because i've picked this guy take it with a pinch of salt of course and hopefully you'll find something in here which is vaguely useful before we do that though lucy i mean we both said at the start of the season 442 0.5 million in the bank do we think we're going to stick with it i think there's more chance of 442 staying than the half billion in the bank that half million that I've had in and out loads and loads of times, but I keep saying to myself, we kind of made a pact that it's going to be four, four, two and a half million. So I've got to at least have it for the pod. So I've got it now. I don't know if I'll have it later, but I do think it opens so many different opportunities if you do have it and it leaves you a lot more flexible for 
jumping on bandwagons. That's definitely the ideal kind of blueprint. I just don't know if I'll stick to it. 442, I am predominantly going down that route, apart from I have, and I it kind of offends my my own senses to say it. I have fiddled with 433 with Martial, which feels wrong on many levels. But with all this Ronaldo nonsense going on, Martial could be really good value. So yes, I think 442 much more possible than half a million. I think, Tom, you're probably more disciplined than me. You might manage half a million. Yeah, yeah. I hope you do stick with it, Lucy, that 0.5 in the bank. Friends don't lie, after all. We've learned, have we learned nothing from Stranger Things? But yeah, I've, I've done like you know a lot of tinkering. I've gone through what my friend JP called really brilliantly the experimental jazz phase of my team. When you know a 5-3-2 was being played with a 3-4-3... A three-five-two, like some Grealish, Trossard, Undav, etc., were gracing my team in and out. Um, but now I feel like I'm I'm out on the other side now, and I kind of quite like the four-four-two. I feel like it's the most flexible way to start. So at zero point five, I've basically just been playing with ninety-nine point five million budget the whole time. Sometimes I do look at it and think, okay, I could do X with this zero point five. But I always seem to keep coming back to kind of keeping it close to my heart. I feel like it's just very important to me now to keep hold of that. So I'm going to be heartbroken, Lucy, if we do get rid of it, that's for sure. The emotional <laughs> no, blackmail might work on me, do that. <laughs> no pressure. Let's just see. So the start of who we have in the nets at the moment, I mean, I, I said from the beginning, I'm probably going to stick with a 4.5. I think I'm going to probably stick with Raya. He hasn't left, really. I've had a bit of a flirtation with the likes of Melier, uh, just because he and his backup goalkeeper... Both come from a team with decent fixtures to start of the season. Obviously, an, un- an unknown how well Leeds are going to do, but decent fixtures at the start of the season. And I'm unlikely mm. to want more Leeds players. So I was thinking they could work okay. Raya doesn't have that 4.0 backup. Sadly, Balcom doesn't exist now because the new goalkeeper at Brentford means that Balcom's now in the middle um, and unfortunately won't any longer be the backup goalkeeper for them. So it's, it's Raya for me in goal. And I did a very lazy look of goalkeepers in terms of points per 90 and saves per 90. And Raya was the highest scorer for the 4.5 goalkeepers. And I think that's where I'm going to go. Although at 0.5, I have looked at the likes of you know, Mendy. Not going to lie. Obviously, I'm a bit worried about the EO for Reese James and Mendy that's still there. Have looked at Nick Pope. Have even looked at a few other characters. But I, mean, I look at your team, Lucy, and I see Edison in goal. Can you please talk me through what that is? I think we should probably stress at this point, this is... Thursday, the 28th of July, and game week one is still a week away. Right. So I am going to acknowledge that on the pricing pod, I may have been firmly in the four and a half million goalkeeper zone. And I was quite happy there. And I don't think it's out of the question that I go back there until it became quite clear that Perisic is going to be even more of a risk than I think we prepared ourselves for, which opened up a five and a half million pound start on my defence. And I, I'm not of the opinion at the moment that five and a half million gets you much else in defence. You either kind of have to go up to six or down to five. And it just, I started playing to mainly this morning, actually, when you said to me, you should be a team to the pod, with the idea of just moving that into the goalkeeping position and then moving the, the four and a half that I had in the goalkeeping position back out. Because we discussed in the pricing pod the potential value that there is in four and a half defenders. So that's kind of where that came from. 
the four and a half are where I'll end up kind of long term. I just wonder in this first section of the season where we're perhaps not clear who the four and a half will be. Generally, there's a there's a cheap goalkeeper that kind of rises above the rest. Whilst we don't know who that is, I'm just quite tempted with the idea of Edison as a kind of see where the land lies and divert when we play the wild card. Absolutely. No, I completely understand that, actually. That's why I was looking at Mendy and looking elsewhere, the likes of Saar, the likes of Ramsdale I've been looking at as well. I think every year with goalkeepers, their X minutes is probably about the same as the starting goalkeeper. It's always potluck with the 4.5s and maybe there is some sense in starting on the sure thing, which is what Edson represents. And you know, I look at their opening kind of six, West Ham away, Bournemouth at home, Newcastle away, Palace and Forest at home and Villa away. I look at that and I think I would not be surprised if they kept five out of six clean sheets there. That's already 30 points straight off the bat. So it makes a lot of sense to go that way. I still maybe would look more at the defenders than the goalkeeper because it kind of is a bit of less of an awkward sort of switcheroo in terms of moving resources around. But I completely understand that. I can see why people are looking, especially with no sort of hope, Heaton kind of character of old in the 4.5s why people are looking elsewhere, that's for sure. No, it certainly makes a lot of sense. Uh, in terms of the 4.0s, I mean, I've just got the highest own 4.0 at the moment. It doesn't block me buying an outfield player I might otherwise want from that team. And that's uh, Gazaniga at Fulham. He's also got a nifty pink kit, which I quite like. You've got Wards from Leicester. I'm guessing that's kind of in case Schmeichel goes, or is that just kind of just one you've just thrown in just for the hell of it? I fully expect that if Schmeichel goes, they'll replace him. But on the off chance he doesn't and there's a little bit of a price rise to be had out of it, maybe in the short term, I've chucked him in at the moment. It could literally be anyone because, let's face it, he's not going to be playing. I do like Gazaniga's pink kit, though. I do, do like that one. Let's move on to the defenders. To cover off two of them. Trent and Cancelo haven't left my team once. I know that some people are maybe wavering a bit on Cancelo, but for me, both of those players are fairly untouchable in terms of their output. Trent, multiple 200 club member, Cancelo's first 200 club last year. Both of them haven't left my team. And I, I I think that, again, they kind of, you know, I was saying that I've been dealing with a 99.5 budget. It's basically been 99.5 minus Trent, minus Cancelo, and obviously minus Salah as well. <laughs> so it's actually been quite a constricted budget I've been playing with. Neither of those players have left your team either, have they? I had a, a kind of theoretical dalliance with Diasol Laporte, but never actually put them in. There are grounds that you could have one of the centre-backs instead of Cancelo. There might be about a million pound difference in, in what they offer. I don't think it's it's unreasonable, but I just think sometimes it's just not worth overthinking very popular picks with a great track record. And I think Cancelo falls into that. So I can't see either of those shifting from my team, certainly not Trent very likely not Cancelo so yeah they're pretty pretty locked in for me cool I, I saw Sam Lee uh, at the Athletic saying that it looked like Laporte may not make game week one as well so that's definitely oh, okay. one that's worth noting for anyone I, I have I have looked at Diaz though that's for sure I've looked at having him as the second Man City defender and I think doubling up on that defence makes a lot of sense that's for damn sure I haven't at the moment and I'll explain why in just a bit I guess defender free is a five million. So I've got the two premiums, Trent and Cancelo. 
And I'm down to Gabriel, uh, Gabriel Magal Heish, uh, not Gabriel Jesus, nor Gabriel Martinelli. Uh, I made the case for him uh, on the pricing pod in terms of having decent attacking stats, the second highest number next year amongst centre-backs last year. Now for 90 in a time when we may see a lot of ex-mins being threatened, loved by FPL Review. Seriously, if you, if you like analytics, do check out FPL Review. I'm sure you probably know them already. And then he faces game week one and two. I mean, I did think, and Adam Pritchard has made this point a few times, that Palace and Leicester, our teams are probably going to score against us. I, I can see that. But faces two defences in Palace and Leicester who suffered last year in terms of set-piece chance concession last season. I'm, I'm, I think that that's worth looking at, especially because Gabriel was the highest scoring centre-back in the league last year. So at five, he's my third defender. You've got Reese James at that point. You kind of stayed the course with the three. I think I'm kind of intermediate at the back, but you kind of kept your big at the back. What do you think about Gabriel? And move on to James as well for that. Gabriel, I do see the attraction of. I think I prefer him to Zinchenko, who I think is another big popular pick since his move. I just don't know where Zinchenko kind of fits in a permanent role. Does he end up in midfield? I mean, what happens when Tierney's back? It's all a bit uncertain. I'm not quite sure how that works. I, I think he plays most games because you don't spend 30 million on him to just leave him off. But yeah, there's just a bit of uncertainty about Zinchenko, whereas you can be pretty sure about Gabriel and you know that, as you said, he's playing 90 minutes. So I like him at the 5 million price point. To go to James, I'm not actually sure on James. James is probably one of my tinker spots right now. I liked him on paper kind of when the game launched. Um, I think he's got, you know, a lot of going for him in his kind of traditional role. I think there's so many question marks about the Chelsea defence right now that that's what's starting to make me kind of waver so obviously yeah. they've had their kind of failed pursuit of Kunde. there's a potential interest in Dumfries and in which case there's kind of speculation about whether James would move inside to right centre back which puts me off kind of from an attacking perspective and then of course all of this kind of turbulence with you know several players wanting away who they'll recruit you know whether they'll be much of a defensive force either so I feel like that's probably one of the key positions in my team where I'm likely to shift. That's also another position where I've looked at Diaz, whereby Edison would leave. I'm not anywhere near as comfortable with that one as I wanted to be. So yeah, that's probably one of those positions where I'd be looking elsewhere. And if I wasn't looking at Diaz, I'd probably be looking down at that £5 million spot where you've kind of got two. I notice you've not just got one £5 million, you've got two. So Trippy is the other one. Do you want to kind of talk us through that one? Yeah, that's for sure. For sure, I think that those five. There's a few five millions, like Gabriel, Trippier, Walker, Cash, you know, Dean, too, who are all of interest. And I think that there's of those, I I would probably posit that there are a few like Trippier. If they were five point five, and people would kind of go, "Oh, that's a bit steep," but they wouldn't be outraged by the fact that they are that price. And I mean. Defender five is always going to be Neko Williams. I think basically everybody is on that guy at the 4.0. You are, I am. I'm sure basically everyone else is. I know that Mark Southerns on uh, the correspondence week was obviously quite complimentary about his attacking potential. So a player that I'm very happy to throw on if needs be. But for that fourth slot, I do have Trippier in there at the moment. I I don't know. I I think the first two games for Newcastle are looking pretty nice with Forrest and Brighton. As I said, I think he's probably a bit undervalued. I think he could have been a 5.5 and I kind of just see value in that spot for him at the five. 
if he stays fit, I think he could really make a mockery of that five million starting price. I can play Neko Williams game week three when Trippier's got Man City, game week five when Trippier's got Liverpool. And last year, obviously he was injured a fair bit. Has had a decent preseason according to FPLTT and those Newcastle fans. So who do you follow the guys? And I think he's nailed as one of the leaders of that team. I'm sure you know, your other half, Lucy, would be quite, <laughs> quite keen on Trippier as well, wouldn't he? He's having so much of a kind of moral dilemma about Newcastle at the moment, so I try not to bring it up. But yes, I think in times gone past, he would have tried to insist that Trippier is as good at set pieces as James Ward-Prowse. But again, I I feel like I say that every single podcast, so I I won't say it again. Yeah, no, I like Trippier a lot. I think it's just the lumpiness, for want of a better word, of those fixtures that put me off. I think the opening two look really nice, and then I get a little less enthused, and that's when... I potentially, unlike you, am a bit more averse to the whole rotation idea. So I think that's probably where I fall down with that one. I like him post-game week six. We said about Newcastle six just getting very good. That might be where I'd be more interested, perhaps, kind of off the back of another wild card. He could be 5.4 by then. So That's the beauty of 0.5 in the bank as well, because if it That's doesn't true. work out, Trippier, just say, and I'll, I'll say this a few times, I'll be like, oh, I've got 0.5 in the bank, so if it goes wrong, bye-bye, I'm fine, I can sort it all out. I know uh, we'll come on to who you've got um, as your kind of defender four, so the playing defender at the moment in this 4-4-2. The other one that I've considered is Dallow there. Um, <laughs> And um, that kind of necessitated a bit of a bit of a move around. Um, so I didn't have Neto at the moment, but if I did have Neto, I wanted to keep my 0.5 in the bank. I changed Trippier to Dallow. He kind of works, but as a punt, if we're kind of saying, all right, clean slate, let's just kind of get rid of what we know about players and kind of look into the new season. He seems, from what we've seen in pre-season, again, hefty health warning, it's pre-season, but he seems to have the starting right back for United under uh, Ten Hag not necessarily an amazing player, but at the price and the positions he finds himself in, I think that's actually fairly viable at 4.5, especially because United are going to be challenging for the top six. And he's got a palatable couple of opening games as well. But just remember, price, price, price at 4.5. Like if there is high upside or if there's perceived upside, you can look at it and say, yeah, you know, he's this, he's that. There's There's nothing to really base this on. I understand that. I can see that. But they're not a 13.0 million midfielder. They're a 4.5 million defender. There's Dallow. There's also Zuma, which I, who I quite like. Uh, they've got a decent one of pitches from game week two, actually. Game week one would be uh, Man City away. So if they go with Zuma at 4.5, play uh, Neko Williams game week one, maybe Dan Byrne or something at Newcastle as well. As I mentioned, Trippier has a couple of good opening fixtures. But you've gone for... Arsenal's Ben White, a non-goal-scoring defender, the player who is probably going to yeah be be playing in that kind of tucked-in role that Tommy Asi occupies. I mean, X-Mins, yes, but I mean, why is he there? He's not really kind of firmly there. He's like a oh, I'm going to have a 4.5 million pound defender. Right. Oh, Ben ghost? White. Yeah, there's not really a lot of thought in him apart from as you said, X-Mins is about is about it. I feel like there's value at that price point. What I haven't quite worked out is where the value is. So I've kind of I've fiddled with that spot quite a lot. Um, I think, as you said, Dallow's perfectly fine. Martinez has been added to the game at 4.5 as well, hasn't he, for Man United? So if you mm. wanted to go for something that felt a bit more solid, that's another option. Um, I think, as you said, Duncan Zuba, but the fixtures aren't great. Uh, I've looked at potentially Wolves fullbacks. Because their opening couple are, are yeah, really nice. They are good. 
So potentially there. So yeah, I'm pretty sure I will have a 4.5. I don't think I've really reasoned out what it'll be. So at the moment, when I'm in kind of default playing around with price points, but not nailing it down, I tend to go for the the boring X-Mins guy, just as a kind of placeholder until I've reasoned it out in my head. So I think that one probably will change. Makes a lot of sense. I think I think it would for me it would be Zuma. I did say Dan Burn, but I think maybe Dunk would. I think that was the one we picked out on the price pub, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was the one you got really excited by. Yeah, being quite, you know, if he was again similar to Trippier, if he was five point five, being like, oh, okay, I understand why. If he was five Dunk, I'd be like, okay, I can understand that completely. And uh, looking at the expected goals conceded, Bryson's defense is very good, Um, and they could step up a gear because he and Webster are both fit and they could you know, form a partnership finally after many years of them, one or the other being it being injured. So uh, they got, they started to be nice the way but over six game weeks, again, looking at that sort of block, I, there's maybe some value to doing that. I mean, we'll have to see, but yeah, okay. Understand why Mr. White is there. That's for sure. Nice res- reservoir dogs sort of moment there. Moving on to midfield kind of setup. So Mo Salah, Obvious. Both own him. Both got the Iron Man on him. I think that there's not very much more to be said about that one for now. And if we look at price points, it's quite interesting because I've gone for two 8.0s at the moment. We spoke about it on the price pod and I really like that price point. And there's loads of value on offer. Lots of players who are talisman for their team and players who seem like reasonable starting points from which I can trade up, trade down or across if necessary. But I've got at the moment, Luis Diaz, who's a bit of a why not pick at the moment, I'm going to be honest. Probably the highest ownership at eight. Triples me on Liverpool, but I'm okay with it at the price. I remember what you said on the price pod, Lucy, about you know, if he was Mane at eight, you'd snap him up. So one not his replacement. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, sure. Bye-bye. Looks, There's other players there. <laughs> looks like Josh is not going to be fit. So that also yeah. plays in his favour. Exactly. And um, the other 8.0 I've got is Kulisevsky. On the price pod, I kind of made the case for him too. I know he covers me for Spurs. I, I hate the idea. But him being nailed for game week one, same as Diaz, makes me feel better about it. I prefer to go with Son or Kane, but I was thinking I'm not going to captain either of them for game week one because of Salah or game week two because then they're at Chelsea. So I think, okay, I'm, I'm going to go with Kulu there. And Kulu himself, he's not you know, completely kind of the third choice pick. As long as the price pod, he's got very encouraging per 90 data. No winner song or came really, but if you're paying, what, 4 million less, then I'm happy to start the season with him. And then there's other characters like Mount, Madison, going down to someone like Grealish or going even further down to whatever the taste of the week is. Those are all viable things. So I think it kind of ticks a lot of boxes for me to go with Kulu just because I think, oh, cover Spurs for game week one. Again, I, I hate that term, but I think it might be one that I want to keep an eye on. And it also means I've got that price point covered, which means that I can then move around, mess around and do other things there. So yeah, I, at the moment, I'm kind of sat with two 8.0s. Whereas you're, you're on Lewis Diaz as well, aren't you? But you've got, you kind of start to go down from there, don't you? I mean, is Diaz still the same as me, like kind of a why not sort of pick in the same vein as we said, we said on the price pod, Perisic was one of those why not picks, but hey, things change, don't they? <laughs> they they do indeed. Um, Diaz is the one I've always been warm on at that price point. Again, because I, I made that money point that I'd have paid a lot more for Mane. Maybe Diaz isn't doesn't have the finishing output that Mane has, but I mean, at, at the difference in price, I'm quite happy with that. Um, as we mentioned, Jota's injured, so that strengthens his case for minutes. Doesn't look like Nunez will be kind of 
out wide, it'll be a centre forward with Firmino type competition. So I'm quite comfortable with his minutes there. That was always the kind of thing that that potentially put me off him, but that that seems quite secure. Kulu would probably be the one that I went for at that price point if I didn't go for him. I also mm. quite like Mount. I've warmed up to Mount having kind of looked through his later a bit more. And I know FPL reviews quite hot on Mount. So that's worth kind of highlighting. So I don't have that second £8 million price point. I've gone down to six where I have Martinelli. I don't think he's £2 million worse than a lot of those £8 million. So for example, Saka versus Martinelli. Mm. I, I know Martinelli's obviously more of a kind of minutes risk than Saka but I I feel like that's more than priced in so I'm quite happy with that and I think I think he's fairly nailed for the start of the season with Smithrow obviously having his own kind of fitness problems so I'm I'm fairly happy with that one what I don't like about him is that even with the half million in the bank I feel a bit marooned there so I'd probably have to come down that's the thing that maybe tempts me to try and squeeze in that second eight. I do think the eight's the best price point. And if you do have half a million in the bank, you you can also leap on the one that's performing. So, yeah, I could end up with a similar structure to yours. Now, I've just had this feeling about Martinelli and I hate yep. having feelings and, and hunches because that's just not very informed. But I, I just think Martinelli's good value for what he represents. So no, Absolutely. I, I completely understand that. For me, actually... One, it was the price points thing going with the two eights. And it's also that I'm a bit reticent to triple up on Arsenal. I'm a bit reticent to go with triple ups early in the season. I've got triple Liverpool at the moment. I'm not closing the door at all on tripling up on City as well. But I am unsure about tripling up on Arsenal just because, one, I'm a supporter. I don't really want that kind of mental baggage. And two, I just don't know at the moment, in my heart of hearts, whether the Crystal Palace game and the Leicester game certainly are going to be games that we're going to do as well as we think. I think this is a view shared across loads of pessimistic Arsenal fans. And I know there are loads out there who are very blasé and feel like we're going to now rule the world because we've, we've quote-unquote won the transfer window. But I, I don't want to triple up. And I, I kind of feel like Gabriel and... Uh, Jesus, who, uh, spoiler alert, we both have at the moment. I think that I'm I'm fine with two of them. I think with three of them, it, it starts to be a bet that I, I want to hedge it elsewhere. And having those eights and being able to kind of be flexible at that price point and move things around if needed with not from the bank and feeling like, you know what, maybe I could move something in game week two or game week three and not really have much stress about it if a player like Martinelli starts to become one that is an early bandwagon. I feel like that's kind of where I am with that. The the point about not tripling up on Arsenal, I kind of agree with, which is another reason why I probably won't end up with White in that final defensive position. To me, they feel like better attacking fixtures than defensive fixtures, which is, again, why I'm more comfortable with the attacking double up than the defensive role involved. And I think you kind of acknowledged that, didn't you, when you had Gabriel, that part of it is his attacking threat. Yeah. Because you're not not sure that they'll they'll bring those clean sheets through, which is another thing that kind of leans me slightly against Ramsdale, who I think would maybe longer term be a better pick. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think I think being a bit more cautious about Arsenal makes sense. So probably the double up rather than the triple up. But then again, the fixtures are quite smooth. So yeah, I mean, investing it to some degree sounds like a good idea. As I said, I think it's mainly a, a price point flexibility thing that I think your team has over mine which I tend to favour. So 
yeah, yeah. copy copy paste i think that's, that's going to be what happens here that's for sure <laughs> no but no i i, I, I seriously I, I really like martinelli I've, I've always loved him as a player and i have looked at for example diaz to martinelli and then upgrading gabriel to van dyke or robertson if i was going to get rid of the 0.5 which again i quite like it's just that i can just imagine with that fulham game being the start of the season that Luis Diaz, if he does get off to a good start, him being that sort of bandwagonable price and people who don't own him jumping on, there are a lot of poor sense from the past which are kind of weighing heavily on my decision making. With Diaz, I think you can end up saying that he was radically underpriced. I don't think you'll reach that point with Robertson. So I think you could, you'll see small increases on Robertson's price. But I think, as you said, Diaz is the type of player that if enough people got on board with it and he was performing enough, he could rock it because I think there is that much kind of ceiling in him. I don't know if he'll necessarily hit that ceiling. And if if I was going on kind of the safe bets all the time, I would have Robertson. But I think in terms of people saying, you you know, did FPL Towers get that right? He's been a bit underpriced. That's coming from Diaz, isn't it, rather than Robertson? Yeah, absolutely. So midfield five, uh, I think we're both kind of quite happy with. That's Andreas Pereira. Um, I think he is the 4.5 to own just on the basis of the herd, really. Uh, yeah. I think it insulates you against price drops if it because uh, more people need to sell in order for the player to drop is to receive wisdom, at least. I know a lot of people have been high on Josh De Silva um, starting in pre-season and, and the most recent Brentford lineup featured him playing that sort of quote-unquote Ericsson role. So I can see why he might kind of work be good value but I, I think I'm just going to go with the herd really on that player that I don't intend to play very much but midfield four so if we've both got four four two the, the fourth midfielder I really like is where it gets interesting Lucy I've got a confession I've boarded a preseason bandwagon I've got Leon Bailey in Five it's the only zero. pick you have that I think I really struggling to get on board with I, I feel like I can start the season with him Gerard has said that and uh, according to this on the prize pod, the football manager legend may have played his way into the starting lineup in preseason for a lot of very good performances. Normally, I give short shrift to preseason, but when a manager says that, you do notice it a little bit, especially if they're as honest um, as Gerard can be. Obviously, last season was blighted by injury, but it's really important to note a little bit of digging uh, that he hasn't historically had a long term problem. He's missed 13 games in his career, for example, before last season. And at Leverkusen, over four years, he had 0.51 non-pen XGI per 90. So if he can start the season, I'm, I'm, I'm not married to this guy. I'm not keeping him in my team for the rest of the year. But if he can start the season for the decent first three or four, if you count West Ham, at Bournemouth, Everton, Palace, and then West Ham, he could be, again, a proper runaway bandwagon at just five if the fixtures go well. I mean, obviously, he's one that you can move down to from Neto for example and maybe it's just the case of me kind of saying you know what i want to keep 0.5 in the bank and that is why i've got bailey over neto and i'm framing the discussion around why bailey's quite good but i don't mind that at five like taking that sort of risk because it's just one player in my team you know and a very small investment that i've made you're, you're wincing at, at my explanation <laughs> i just wonder i was quite tempted by bailey after those gerard comments I just wonder where you go if, for whatever reason, he doesn't start. You need to have him playing again, realistically, especially given that you've got Trippier, who you said you're probably going to rotate with Nico Williams. So you you probably need to have that position active. 
Do you really want to suck up the half million you've left in the bank for your ultimate bandwagon jumping flexibility triumph and basically just suck up all of that going from Bailey to Neto or whatever five and a half is working? Because I, I feel like that's what you'll end up doing because I just don't see where the other fives are. Like I, I mean, I don't love any of the five and a halves, mm. don't get me wrong, but I do feel that there are kind of some vaguely viable options, whereas that five million price point just feels horrible. I, f- I feel like he's one of those where he's like one individual you can pick out and be like, that that one I don't like. But then if you look at everything around it, you can see why it sort of works. And I'm completely aware that I'm making the case for why my enabler is worth it. But there is a vaguely viable case for him to be included, is, is what I'm saying. If he may not be there, and it may well be that I kind of take 0.5 and I am a friend who lies and end up with Neto. I mean, you've got Neto, and I know that he, for me, I look at him and just think, oh, he is a classic, you know, why not pick? In the same way that I'm saying I need a 5.0 and I'm indifferent to everybody else on that list. So he looks like the one. But Neto also seems that one too. I mean, he's got okay per 90 stats, doesn't he? And no Jimenez potentially I... is going to enhance his X minutes. But I, I, I just don't I know. I hate myself. I didn't even... <laughs> I, I gave a reason on the pricing pod. I even went into significant depth on the pricing pod as to why I didn't think Neto was necessarily a good idea and why you should actively consider the other options at that price point. And yet I've ended up with him again. I think for me, having kind of discussed James as like a bit of a question mark in my defence, Neto is the kind of big question mark in my midfield. And kind of what I do with one will dictate what I do with the other. It's basically, you know, I've got 11 and a half for a defender and a midfielder. How they get at, like attributed at this point, I don't really know. I think you briefly touched upon it there. The the is injury there was an interesting poll on Twitter I noticed yesterday whether that was good or bad for Neto and the, the consensus is there isn't one. No one seems to know. Yeah, Probably increases his minutes, but probably diminishes their attack, which already wasn't very good, which was a reason why I said you shouldn't buy Neto. So yeah, not, not sure about that one. I can't convince myself on any of the other five and a halves to such a degree that I can kind of back against the template in a way which seems really boring and rubbish yeah, no it makes a lot of sense though absolutely it just kind of i know the specter of eo is always hanging over us for this and i think ultimately when it comes to this sort of pick i mean this guy i mean you, you obviously you've got white in there who probably also could stake a claim for this but he's your 11th man isn't he in a lot of ways he's the kind of guy that if he does well you're like hooray if he doesn't do well you're not, you're not relying on him week to week maybe that's a kind of weak way to look at it but that's kind of how i look at it and i feel like with him with bailey with any sort of player that you're looking in the, in the cheap seats you can just interpret the information however you need to or however you want to so the view i've given you earlier on about bailey being good you can swing it the other way to say well neto is very good because he's got very good x minutes his personal data is great and at 5.5 he enables this 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 and this and it's one of those where it's, it's kind of really up to the individual at, at that point kind of where you go and what it enables elsewhere and there's always gonna be one player like that so i, I hear your concern that maybe if i start thinking well if i've got bailey i might as well just have josh to silver so maybe I'm, i might as well just take 4.5 and then maybe i might just kind of say well i'll get a dallow or get a dunk or something like that 
and have them on the bench and have some sort of 4.5 defender, Josh De Silva, Andreas Pereira, Neko Williams, 11th man sort of thing. But it kind of makes sense too, to some extent. Again, you can frame it to make sense however you want to, because you can say, you know what? That 11th man, I can just rotate amongst these players and just throw on whoever's got the best fixture because it enables all this other great stuff. Yeah, definitely. I I think if you can work out a kind of rotation you're comfortable with, I'm not against that if it, it kind of affords you what you want elsewhere. I think it's just having the appetite for the risks associated with that rotation that you end up rotating points out or, mm. you know, that kind of stuff. If you're happy with that. I've never been that bothered about benching points, but I know for some people that's like a, a massive irritation. If you if you don't like that kind of thing, I just wouldn't go there. Just, just have a nice 11 that you're happy with and, yeah. and leave the bench to rot. But, you know, I, I'm not against having some kind of flexible system where you stick some four and a halves in for a bit of kind of strengthening elsewhere. I just, I don't know if I can, I can get excited enough about the four and a half midfielders. Yeah. To embrace <laughs> it, really. No, I know what you mean. I know that um, like Bullet Move seventy eight on Twitter has kind of said about just elevating that other the, the, the kind of the core ten and just kind of rising up one spot because you're able to kind of just elevate that t- those ten players and put mm-hmm. yourself in a position to do well. And there's a lot of sense to that. And it also reduces your decisions, right? You just have to worry about those 10 and just sort exactly. of... Or you just got all your decision every week is kind of confined to, ooh, who out of Josh De Silva, Andreas Pereira, Neko Williams and Lewis Dunk am I playing this week? Hey, that could be a thing. Uh, speaking of uh, making decisions easier, sort of, um, let's move on to the forwards. And um, I mean, we've both got 4.5 forward in there. You've got Greenwood. I've got Archer. I'm assuming that's kind of just a minutes game sort of thing. I mean, I, I know Jesse Marsh has been fairly complimentary about Greenwood. Gerard said that Archer's sticking around that Lee Johnson and Planet FPL was saying about that. Um, so I mean, both kind of will get minutes. I think that's all you want from a player who is realistically going to be our third forward. So let's not really speak about that. I noticed we've both got Jesus, and I think that I know there's a few people who are kind of saying, well, Martinelli, Saka, and Zinchenko are probably a very good Arsenal trio. Jesus, one of those that I just not really, I don't want to call it overthinking to remove him because I think that that's doing people a disservice who genuinely think there's better value elsewhere. I just think it's one of those where the EO sadly annoyingly really puts him as one of those players that i have not really thought about removing and i know that that is something that can be challenged but for me i've just looked at him and just thought he's the apex of this sort of why not pick that i've mentioned a few times and he's got that supporting data there's obviously the contention if it was that he was so good because he had the most creative midfield in europe behind him or not but i just don't really see me not going with jesus and game week one i can't really add a lot more to that it's one of those things where i think he's been priced at a level which has has necessitated that eo in my opinion i think he would have been a popular pick regardless but 65 percent is insane I think that's been dictated by price. And at a point where you know you're probably going to have to pay for Haaland or Kane, yeah. it makes a lot of sense to balance it off. But there's also plenty below him. So, you know, we're talking in terms of the flexibility of price points. There's decent options at seven and a half if you want to go there. There's obviously also Martial, who I briefly mentioned earlier, who at seven. So you aren't stuck there if it if it turns out to be a horrible flop. And you also know that if it is a horrible flop, a lot of people are in the same boat as you. So think it's it's fine as it is 
is Harlem the same? Um, I know by the, I'm sure a lot of people listening to this would have know the outcome, the community shield and uh, God forbid he's been carried off injured or something or hasn't started or something like that. And maybe things will change. But for me, he fills the same sort of role where I think if he starts the season, I think he'll be the way to go. And I've had Kane in quite a few teams. I think I sent you one about two weeks ago, didn't I, with which had Kane in it. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I think the reason I've kind of got Haaland in there at the moment is simply because I'll captain him earlier than I will Kane. I mean, there's lots of good points made about Kane for sure. I totally understand everybody who's going that way over Haaland. I just think game week two, I'll be captaining him probably for that Bournemouth game. And I, I just, I, I don't I, I don't see myself captaining Kane. I, I could you know, obviously have Salah for the Palace game at home. That's absolutely fine. Uh, but I, I just don't know. I feel like getting in on Harlem fairly early and just kind of having him there. I, I, I feel like it's, it's one of those things where you, you're having to reach a little bit. I've seen a lot of the discussions about why you wouldn't own Harlem. I can understand the injury record. I understand that Pep's been saying he's carrying a few niggles. But he himself, if he's fit, and if he is looking like he's fit to start the season, I just wonder whether you are tying yourself in knots to try to go without him. And plus, I've got Kulosevsky to kind of cover again is the wrong word. Represent Spurs. I'm a bit confused. I think I'm quite comfortable with Haaland. I think my problem's going to be if he doesn't start the Community Shield, but isn't necessarily kind of injured or there aren't any kind of significant concerns about his his injury status. Because would that mean that he was going to start game week one, that they were just getting minutes in his legs? Or does that make him a doubt for game week one? I think I'm going to be in a real quandary if he's on the bench for the Community Shield. And I, I can see a way that I might end up with Kane. Me I only too. say that because you spoke about kind of the idea that you'd captain Haaland in game week two, which I think you definitely would if you were confident he was starting. But as you said, captaining Salah that week's perfectly viable. Mm-hmm. So you could captain Salah for the first two and then have Kane at home to Wolves in the third, where there's it's kind of a bit less obvious for kind of Haaland and Salah maybe that kind of leans it back towards Kane. But yeah, I think at the moment I'm happy with Haaland. It's literally going to come down to the community shield. If he starts that, I'll be happy. Maybe that's um, a bit of a tinker point for me as well, because the 8.0, who's currently Kulosevsky, that would change if Haaland didn't start the community shield. Then he would become Kane and the 8.0 probably wouldn't be Kulosevsky. Um, and I think that maybe that would kind of mean that almost, I mean, it could be almost be that I end up with, you know, a Grealish character or something like that. Again, then the community shield and I end up going into the season with a massive, going in big at the bank. <laughs> it, it really does, you know. You don't think you'd things. reinvest that money? Maybe, maybe not. I feel like every year, as I've said, as I said in game of the first part of the season, every year I feel, feel like I feel like compelled to get to that 0.0. And I feel like every year come game week, one game week one when it ends game week two when i'm looking to make transfers i regret it so i think oh you know 0.1 is basically 0.5 swing and i'm priced out of doing this and priced out of doing that and having flexibility and if i've got a team that i kind of believe is going to do all right as i said i think there's a few 5.0 defenders who are probably decent value i think those 8.0s provide me a decent price point okay maybe bailey is a bit iffy but i, I think that there's enough in the team to do to do a very good job to start the season. And I, I just wonder if that is going to be something that makes me think, oh, hang on a minute. 
and maybe I just start the season kind of with full flexibility, especially given all of the kind of the unknowns that we've spoken about in the past. That's fair enough. Yeah. What are your key tinker points at the moment? Um, yeah, so I've kind of gone through them as we've gone along. So I think it's it's James, who I'm not 100% confident on just because of kind of the context at Chelsea and their recruitment issues. Neto, who I made a very strong case to not own and still somehow own. And then that Harlan Kane, depending on Harlan's fitness status, is probably the third. So there's, there's one in each area of the pitch that I'm I could see moving. And I'm not completely sold on Edison if the James kind of factor necessitated getting Diaz I'd have to then obviously shift Edison so there's also that kind of added complexity on it yeah how about you stuff could, there's lots of stuff that can move for you I think uh, you've got your triple arsenal as well which you said you're not really oh yeah so yeah white's just that placeholder <laughs> that I need to decide but you know I clearly don't care enough about that one to have even highlighted it poor old <laughs> Benjamin that's, that's for sure and um, yeah I think I, I, as I said the 8.0 uh, the Kulisevsky spot could swap if Kane does come in. I don't think I'd double up on Spurs at the start of the season. Maybe I should. Maybe I, maybe I, I could, that's for sure. Maybe I do end up booking in the transfer. I'm also still feeling like getting value out of the City defence or Liverpool defence through having two of them could be something that I'd look at. Maybe it's just being influenced by looking at FPL review and looking at kind of expected value of these players and trying to figure out that, that, Especially when it comes to City, owning a second defender might be quite worthwhile. Especially, uh, in fact, both because the ownership of Trent, the ownership of Cancelo, will mean that a clean sheet and any return, everyone's going to have that. So yeah. having a, having a second defender may, might make a lot of sense, which may me make me look at you know Walker over Trippier. I mean, Tri- Walker's the most boring pick I can possibly imagine. Proper proper sort of missionary pick. But 5.0, basically Edison does nothing except the, these days defend with that magnificent recovery pace. But he could be one that ends up sneaking in at a 5.0 just to cover me off. I just feel a bit uncomfortable basically tripling up on City without knowing what their midfield is going to look like, what their defence is going to look like, you know, what kind of third player I'm going to want. Whereas at Liverpool, I kind of feel like Trent, Diaz, Salah feels like a, a, a good start point. I'm probably mm. on, I'm I'm I feel like again subjective. I feel, which is a terrible thing to say when it comes. But to I, I hate how much we've said that this past. I know it's awful, <laughs> isn't it? Um, but I, I feel like I'm I'm going to be less likely to kind of think. Oh, you know, I really want to get Robertson in here. I feel like it's going to be one of those where I'm going to be more comfortable on that on that triple up. But with, with City, I, I kind of want to leave the door open, if that makes sense. But I could mm. end up with Diaz. I think there's a really strong case for double City defence. And I think time... I'll end up with double City defence one way or another. It's just whether it's Edison or Diaz as the, as the second player. I do completely understand what you're saying in terms of keeping it open. I'm not convinced I'll have made a decision about who that other spot is if it's a midfielder. I don't know if I'd have necessarily decided very quickly and in which case I'll have been able to shift funds around to to accommodate that player so yeah I can see why people want to be a bit more open with Man City and that's that was my primary reason against Edison when we first discussed it so I can see why you'd want that flexibility but I'm I'm just trying at this point to think about kind of easy routes to points and I'm wondering if if that's that's the kind of play there yeah, that, that may make me think, oh, maybe Walker's the way or maybe going five at the back, you know, get dispensing of Bailey's services and going with you know, five at the back with Walker, Trippier and Gabrielle could be could be the way to go. I mean, we'll see. Any kind of last words on Game Week 1 for you, Lucy? I would just make sure that you keep a level head and not get in a spin about someone like Bailey, for example. Like, why would... No, okay, I'm going to stop that. Um <laughs> 
Or Joe, I, or Joe, I, Joe Linton. I hear. Oh him. yes, I heard Joe Linton's the new big thing. Yeah, no, it, it, he's not. Please don't look at him. Um, yes, I think. Yeah, just keep a level head about players. If there are players, I would say at this point, if there are players that you literally never considered, i.e., Joe Linton, I wouldn't look at them now. I don't think that there's a case someone can put together at this point with what, like a week to go that put someone completely new on the radar. I think you've probably got in front of you a pool of what, 20 players, 25 players. I'd stick with them for now. You can kind of fiddle with price points. You can kind of flex it around, but I would be very cautious about adding someone completely new into the mix. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's sure a lot. Hopefully that was quite useful. A quick announcement that starting next week, there'll be a couple of ads at the start and the end of the pod. Uh, that's because we're joining a network with Sports Social. As always, I'm not doing it for money. Uh, it's really not going to make much. No one's retiring on this. It's £4 for a 1,000 downloads, so definitely won't be paying my mortgage or anything. Maybe buy me buy me a beer uh, down the corner shop. Uh, it wouldn't be a nice beer either. It'll probably be like a Carlsberg or something. But as this pod is independent, I'm in the situation where growing the pod's without outside help or getting further involved in the politics of the FPL business is looking quite difficult. So I think getting involved with a network to help get the pod out there is the way to go. I'm really looking forward to working with the Sports Social guys purely because I, and I'm sure Lucy is too, uh, I'm of the belief that this is a great pod. I'm sure, well, I hope you, you agree with that listening to it this far. And I want to go out there really. And I want our hard work to be heard as many people as possible. And I just think the current growth options that i've got are pretty saturated so i think this is a good next step really for us i know there's a couple of ads at the start of the pod there's a bit of a pain point there it's only the pre and the post role so the pre probably the, what most people hear and um, but the overall benefits to growing the pod are worth it i think don't be afraid to let me know what you think as well dm me or something like that if it is something that you want to talk about and um, just to note as well there'll be no ads for gambling no ads for a couple of other things that i've expressed that i won't have ads for so it's all going to be something that i can kind of vaguely get behind it's never been something i've really wanted to do but i think the imperative to try to get some sort of way to grow the pod outside of just you know, asking people for retweets which i really hate doing um, is worth doing so yeah uh, just just something to mention anyway thanks lucy I guess this is our last pod for a while, isn't it? I'll see you back again in a few weeks, swanning off to the Mediterranean. No, not Mediterranean. But the Atlantic. The Atlantic on yeah. holiday. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, enjoy. I- I'll be in sunny Madeira over the deadline, so I will try to remember to finalise these three spots in my team and do so whilst sober. And either way, team in flames or not, I'll be back for game week two. We were who got the assist. You can find us on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL, and you can find me at Lucy Hynett with two Ts. If you enjoyed listening to this, please like and subscribe to the podcast. For new listeners out there, if you think you'll be coming back, please hit that five-star rating across platforms like iTunes and Spotify so more people can enjoy the pod. Yes, thanks very much indeed. Do go ahead and do that. We'll speak to you very soon, or rather I will. I think I'll be back next week. I know we've done this one early Maybe Wednesday, maybe Thursday, in a probable solo babble, unless I can get Nick to do, join in with me regarding some fun decisions, maybe at the Q&A as well. And then I'll be joined once more by Nick, game week one, game week three, and game week four, I think it is, around Lucy's holiday schedule. It's a very busy holiday schedule, and there's lots of things. That you when you're married to a teacher, you haven't got a lot of choice. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so yeah, Nick, Nick is kindly stepping in for Lucy uh, for the game which is absent in the early preseason. So a bit of a reversion back to the old days and maybe the themes will return just a bit too. We hope you enjoyed this. We hope this is you and we'll speak to you again very, very soon. Goodbye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.